Well, I can still remember my first church business meeting. I was a teenager, and our youth pastor decided it would be a good idea for us kids to visit a church meeting and find out how things work behind the scenes. Bad idea. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. I couldn't understand why church members were suddenly talking to each other in these awkward phrases. I mean, where did they get this new vocabulary? So moved, second, tabled, carried the motion. What? Who was this guy Roberts, and who said he could make up all the rules anyway? <laughs> and then there was all the disagreements. I, I didn't like seeing my old Sunday school teachers arguing with each other in front of the whole church. And, and why were the deacons so mean? And why were the trustees so hung up on money? Why was the pastor sitting quietly off to the side? Shouldn't we just do what he says? <laughs> I had a lot to learn. Yeah. But the most disillusioning thing was how decisions were made. We just voted. All in favor say aye, aye. All opposed, same side, aye. Motion carried, bam, move on to the next thing. That's it. I mean, I mean, what about what about prayer? What, what about the Bible? I mean, isn't this God's house, God's work? Why are we running it like a business or like the government? It was a disillusioning experience. I felt like Dorothy pulling the curtain back to discover that the great Wizard of Oz was just an old man spinning levers and making noise. The whole thing seemed so, so mundane, so worldly, so, so ordinary. We pointed out a couple of weeks ago that this particular season of the church calendar of the liturgical year is known as ordinary time. From Pentecost Sunday last week all the way to Advent is simply called ordinary time. There are no major religious holidays to celebrate or commemorate during this season. Just day after day and week after week of growing in faith and being about God's work in this world. And so this spring, we are focusing on, on, on this ordinary time and, and, and how these everyday dimensions of life uh, become opportunities to fulfill our mission in the world. We're learning that these everyday matters aren't distractions from our mission. They're actually the means by which we accomplish our mission in the world. And for many of us here today, church is one of those everyday matters. Now, most of us aren't here every day of the week, but, but if you are at all involved in the life of a church, it becomes an everyday affair. And maybe you're volunteering in an area or two of church life, you're participating in a Bible study or a class or some kind of a group, you're keeping up with your relationships in the church, you're reading all the mail and the e-blasts that the church is sending your way. In fact, sometimes it can seem as though we're spending so much time and energy on church matters there's not much time and energy left to actually be on mission out in the world. And then you come to a Sunday like this when we're actually taking time in the service to vote on church matters. I mean, budgets, bylaws, how ordinary can you get? And so maybe you're feeling a little like I felt at that first business meeting. Is this really how God's work gets done in the world? Aren't there more important things we could be talking about than budgets and bylaws? There's, there's a world in need out there. There are, there are wrongs to be righted and, and people to be helped and, and evils to be overcome. Why spend so much time on church matters 
when there's so much to be done in the world? Now, that's a valid question to be asking and very timely on this particular Sunday. But what we're going to discover today is that you and the church need each other in order for both to accomplish your mission in this world. Now, I mean that very personally, and I mean it very specifically for everyone listening here today. You need the church, and the church needs you in order for both to accomplish your God-given mission in this world because you have a unique contribution to make to the life of a local church. And making that contribution is part of your mission, and making that contribution enables the church to accomplish its mission. In fact, I'm going to suggest that every believer has at least five contributions to make to the life of a local church. And so let me take you to Paul's letter to the church in Rome and see what we can learn about our life together and about church matters. Now we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. The book of Romans is famous for its theology. In chapters 1 through 11, Paul paints this panorama of theology and human history. He begins with the fallenness of humankind and then the saving work of Christ then the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and then God's sovereign purposes in human history. He covers the whole thing. It's grand in its scope, and it's profound in its content. But the book of Romans doesn't end at chapter 11. In chapter 12, Paul gets very practical and very personal. He takes these grand, profound theological truths, and he applies them to everyday life and relationships. And in particular, he applies them to the everyday life and relationships of the church, the community of faith. See, Paul knows that this letter of his is going to be passed around from house church to house church all over the city of Rome. And he wants every member in every one of those churches to know that he or she matters to the life of that church, that they have a unique contribution to make. And he wants all of us to know that as well. So, let's take a look at uh, Paul's words here, Romans 12, beginning at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now remember that in ancient Judaism, as in most religions of the ancient world, worship, religious activity, was primarily about bringing something to the gods or to God. You would bring a lamb or a goat or a dove or a portion of grain and you would offer it up. You might offer it as a, as a thank offering or a sin offering or a fellowship offering. But worship involved bringing something and giving it to God. Now, unfortunately, many people today have a very different understanding of what worship and church life is all about. For many people today, it's not about bringing or giving something to God. It's about getting something from God. Picture yourself walking to the car after the service with your friends or your family, and someone says to the other, so... What'd you get out of the service today? Now, that's not an awful question to ask. We certainly hope we'll experience something when we come together. But if we're not careful, 
what did you get out of the service today, begins to nurture a sort of consumer mentality about church, that we come here to get something. Now, if you spend any time on the Internet at all, you know it's become very popular these days for ordinary people to post reviews of whatever they want to review, a restaurant, a movie, a book, even a church. So we spent a little time searching some of those review sites, and we lifted a few reviews of churches. Now, we've doctored them just a little bit to make them fit on the screens and that sort of thing, but listen to a few actual reviews of churches. Here's the first one. I used to attend this church, and the people were nice enough, but the service time was so inconvenient. If you have kids who play soccer or probably any other sport, this church won't work for you. Okay, here's another one. Could they try any harder to get my money? I'm not emptying my wallet for this new building campaign while we can't even have donuts after the services. <laughs> you know what they're talking about, all right? How about this one? Love this church. The pastor has a great smile and he's single. <laughs> he always remembers my name and he makes good jokes in his messages. The ushers know where I like to sit, too. Another one, decent music and message. Get there early if you don't want to park 10 minutes away. Not cool with bringing your coffee into the service. I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> Youth programs not doing enough. My teenager doesn't want to go. <laughs> Been there, right? <laughs> Last one. Last week there was no Sunday school for my daughter's age group. And when I complained, they said they don't have enough leaders. Sorry, but I don't go to church to babysit other people's kids. Thanks anyway. We'll take a few weeks off and visit some other churches. Well, you get the idea. Now, certainly, there's nothing wrong with looking for a church that will address your particular needs and desires as a person, as a family, and you need to find one that fits. There's nothing wrong with that. But for far too many people today, church has become about shopping around to get what they're looking for about getting instead of giving. One leader puts it this way. Faith has become a consumer commodity in America. People shop for congregations that make them feel comfortable rather than spiritually challenged. They steer clear of formal commitment to Christian communities. They flee quickly when they are not quickly gratified or when they encounter interpersonal problems. As a result, churches are no longer able to help people develop solid moral character. Paul is reminding us here that worship is about what we bring. We're not to be consumers. We're to be contributors. And the first thing we contribute, that you contribute to the life of your church, is yourself. Yourself, plain and simple. Look again at verse 1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Notice, Paul doesn't ask worshipers to bring a lamb or a goat or a dove or a, a portion of grain. He asks them to bring themselves. Not just symbolically, but actually, literally, physically. Present your bodies. He uses a very gritty word there to describe this sack of skin and bones that we all carry around with us. Bring your body. But not just your body. He says, bring your mind, too, by the renewing of your mind. And so he wants more than your body in the house on a Sunday. 
He wants your mind to be fully engaged with what's happening. But not just your body and your mind, he wants your will as well. Do not conform, he says. Test and approve what God's will is. In other words, it's not enough just to hear and even think about what you're hearing and experiencing in church. It's about doing. It's about living differently in light of what you have seen and heard and experienced. And so true and proper worship isn't really about what happens in the service. It's about what happens when the service is over. It's not so much about Sunday morning. It's about how we live the rest of the week. And so God wants you to bring yourself to worship. Your, your whole self, body, mind, and will. Your engaged, participating self. In fact, he wants you to bring your yourself, not just the self you are, but the self you are becoming. Did you notice he talks about being transformed by the renewing of your minds? This is a process kind of a word. It's not a, a one-off exercise. It's a day-by-day, year-by-year, growing awareness and becoming of who God wants you to be. And so what, 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 what you bring to church is your being transformed self. I know it's an awkward way to say it, but I don't know any other way to say it. Your being transformed self. Yourself as you are on the way to becoming who God meant you to be. Yourself that is still under construction. The church, we do not need you to come pretending to be somebody you're not. Pretending to be farther down the road than you are. Pretending to be doing better in life or faith than you are doing. Please don't do that. The church does not need that. What the church needs is for you to come as you are so that together we can become who God wants us to be. That's what Christian community is about. One commentator puts it this way. Paul would never imagine any believer seeking to grow in his or her faith apart from the Christian community. You need the church, and the church needs you. What the church needs you to bring, first of all, is yourself. You're a whole, engaged, becoming, transformed self. And, and I want every one of you to hear that very, very personally. You individually matter to this church, to us. We are a richer church when you are present and active among us. We are on our way to becoming the church God would have us to be when you are present as you are, when you are growing, and we're growing together in Christ. You bring yourself to church. That's part of your mission. Once we get this first one right, bringing yourself, well, the other four, four things will quickly fall into place. The second contribution you make to the life of your church is your service, your service. Let's continue in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace God has given us. Then Paul goes on to list some of those gifts, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, prophesying, things like that. The point here is that each of us has a unique contribution to make to the life of a local church. 
Grace Chapel, if this is your church or if you're visiting from some other church, you have a unique contribution to make there. Now, Paul, Paul warns us not to think too highly of ourselves, but we shouldn't think too lowly of ourselves either. Every human being is made in the image of God. You are designed to reflect God's glory in this world like no other human being can. You are designed to serve God's purpose in this world like no other person can. There are things that only you can do in this world. There are people only you can reach in this world. There are people, places only you will go in this world. That, that service you bring to the life of a church, that is your unique contribution. And you need it and we need it. So we don't have time to explore this whole thing more fully, but we do have time to, to take a step in this direction. We are right now in the month of June here beginning to raise up our volunteers and leaders for next season's ministry beginning in September. So out in the lobbies today are people and tables representing a variety of ministries here at Grace. Kids Town, Student Ministries, the Welcome Ministry, the Cafe, Worship Arts, Tech Arts, all those areas. You would do your church a great service if you would stop on your way out for just a few minutes today at one of those tables or maybe two and learn a little bit about those ministries and the possibility that you might be called to serve in one of those areas. You don't need to sign on the dotted line today, but you would do us and yourself a great service if you would begin that conversation about thinking about where you might serve in this next ministry year. So you bring yourself to church, you bring your service to church. Thirdly, you bring your care to church. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Paul is talking here about the many practical ways that we express love and devotion and honor to one another. And if you have been at Grace or your church for any length of time, you already have a growing network of people to whom you are connected, even if you've only been coming a short time. I mean, that little community, it might just be the people you sit near on a Sunday because most of us tend to sit in the same places Sunday after Sunday. In fact, a large church out in Chicago, Willow Creek, has decided to make that work for them so they have organized their entire congregation around sections in the sanctuary. Sections have a, camp, a section pastor. They have a section leader. They have a section special events. They're making it work for them. So your little network might be some of the people you see almost every week. It might be the people who park in the same place you park, who, who are in the same life stage you are, people you're in a ministry or a class or a, uh, a group with. Those people are not in your life by accident. The sovereign God who superintends all of our steps, the head of his body, this church, is putting all the members together in a way that allows this body to function. You are not in those people's lives by accident. There's something you can bring to their lives, your care and concern. There's something they can bring to your lives that no one else can bring. Uh, this past Friday night, our life community had our kind of end-of-the-season barbecue. Now, it was pouring rain and not even 60 degrees outside, but we still had a good time anyway. There were maybe 19 or 20 of us there. Most of our group was there, not quite everybody. And 
Some of us have been together for years, long time. Others have come just more recently. For most of the evening, we just had burgers and talked and laughed and that sort of thing. But towards the end of the evening, we just kind of circled up for a little while just to do a little business and kind of think about the past year. And as we did that and as we prayed around the room, I was struck by how many life experiences we had shared in the course of a year. Health crises, job searches, relocations, aging parents, births of grandchildren, a couple had just gotten engaged, not to mention all the everyday stuff that comes up from week to week. And simply by coming together a couple times a month on Tuesday evenings from September to June, our lives had been enriched. I thought about how rich our lives and our faith were because we were in each other's lives. And the truth is, I don't think we would be together at all if it weren't for that life community. I don't think any of our paths would have crossed naturally. But God had placed us in proximity to one another, and we'd all blessed each other and been blessed by one another. There are people in this church who need you. They need what you can bring to their experience. And there are people in this church that you need to know and get close to. So some of our groups are kind of winding down as we head towards summer, but I hope as you think about September, you'll think about making a specific commitment to go deeper in relationships in your church in this coming year. In fact, that's going to be a focus for us next year is relationships and community. So you contribute yourself, your service, your care, and then your prayer. Paul writes in verse 12, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Prayer matters. Prayer unleashes the power of God. Prayer heals and it helps people. Prayer renews and restores people. Prayer fuels the life and ministry of any church. Now this morning we are going to be, uh, today we are going to be electing some new elders for our congregation. That always prompts the question, what do those elders do anyway? That's a long question to answer, but one of the first things that elders do is to pray for the life of the church. And I want you to know that your elders take that very seriously. The first part of every elders meeting twice a month is devoted to prayer for the life of the church in general and for specific requests that we're aware of. Often in the midst of a meeting, after hearing a report or before making a decision, we'll just stop and we'll pray for a while. Every Wednesday morning, Whenever elders are available, gather by a conference call early in the morning and we pray for the church, for things in general and for things specifically. In fact, typically on one of those prayer calls, we, we read through the, the, the names of the church members one letter at a time, all the B's, all the R's, all the T's, and we pray for folks by name. So over the course of a year, we pray for the entire church membership year after year. I, I am blessed and I am challenged by our elders' commitment to prayer. But you don't have to be an elder to pray. There are folks who pray all over this congregation. We trust that you pray at home in the course of a week, on a Saturday night, a Sunday morning, that you pray for your church and those who will be serving you. We have an army of folks who pray continually for this congregation. Every day they receive an update of prayer needs. If you'd like to be part of that praying army, you can get that prayer list as well. Just go to a, send a little email to prayerrequests, prayerrequests at grace.org, and you can receive that, that email. If you have a request to offer, send it there, and it will get prayed for. 
Now, I will say that I believe we have some room to grow as a church in our practice of prayer. Three or four times a year, we call the whole congregation together for prayer. Typically, 1st of September, Ash Wednesday, Pentecost week, one or two other times during the course of a year. And when we have those evenings, we'll typically have a couple hundred folks, and we have a great time together. We really do. But I always wonder, why, why aren't there more people here? I, I know we all believe in prayer. I know we want grace to be a praying church. It's only three or four times a year. Would you mark your calendar now for the second Wednesday in September as we come together to pray and launch our fall season of ministry? And so you contribute yourself, your service, your care, your prayer, and finally, your resources. Now, you knew that was coming, right? <laughs> Sooner or later, we were going to get to it. I mean, talk about an everyday matter. You can't get much more ordinary than money. You can't make it through a day in this world without money passing through your hands to someone else's hands. You just can't do it. But you know, the same thing is true in the life of the church. Folks sometimes get tired of hearing churches talk about money as we heard on our Yelp reviews. But imagine trying to go through your life without ever talking about money. You just can't do it. Money is as much a part of church life as it is your everyday life. That's why Paul never hesitates to talk about money in his letters. In virtually every letter Paul writes, he eventually gets around to money and giving. Take a look at verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, Paul has a lot more to say about money and stewardship and some of his other letters, but even here, he gives a simple reminder that we all have financial, material contributions to make to the life of the body, to God's work in this world. Now, if you happen to check out our treasurer's report from this past year, you'll know that we had one of our strongest giving years ever as a congregation, that we were able to receive 99.9-something percent of our budget, which was a wonderful thing. We continue to see money flow into the New Day of Grace Vision Fund so we can continue to grow our campuses, uh, Lexington, Wilmington, um, Watertown, and East Lexington. At the same time, we're able to give away 20% of those gifts to our regional and global partners. And on top of all that, we gave away a couple hundred thousand more to relief efforts for a couple of crises that took place around our world this past year. It was a tremendous year of receiving and giving. And your contributions made that possible, each one of you. If you were to do an analysis of the giving to a church like Grace Chapel or to any nonprofit organization, the, the, the pattern would look something like this. It would look something like a pyramid. Now, I'm not talking about a pyramid scheme here, okay? Understand that? This is a pyramid pattern of giving. Typically, there are a few people at the top of the pyramid who are able to give large amounts. And then a little further down are people who are able to give more moderate amounts. And at the bottom of the pyramid are a lot of people who are able to give smaller amounts. The point I want to make is that whatever level you're able to give at, your gift matters. Now that's real obvious at the top of the pyramid because there's only a few people giving very large gifts. If one of them doesn't make a contribution, well, that makes a big difference. But the same thing is true at every level. Because at the moderate level and the bottom level, 
since the size of the gifts are not as large, it's the volume of the gifts, it's the number of people giving that make an impact. And so if you don't contribute at that particular level you're able to give, then there's not the same impact. Whatever level you're able to give at, your gift contributes to the whole and to what God is able to do. Now, whether you're giving at the level you could give, that's the subject for another sermon. <laughs> You'll be happy to hear, but we will get to it. The point is, every gift matters. So, you have a unique financial contribution to make to the life of your local church, whoever that is. So there you have it. Five simple contributions every believer makes to the life of a church. Yourself, your service, your care, your prayer, and your resources. As we said at the beginning, you need the church, and the church needs you. As you make those contributions, you are fulfilling your mission. And as you make those contributions, the church is able to fulfill its mission. And so we could summarize the whole thing by saying that living on mission means making your unique contribution to the life of a local church. Making your unique contribution to the life of your local church. Now maybe a little story will kind of illustrate the point I'm trying to make here. I received an email recently from uh, someone here at Grace. Uh, let me, I'll just read it for you. It describes something that happened not too long ago. This person writes, I was sitting with my friend Sunday at the 5 p.m. service. My friend happens to be an ex-offender who was recently released after serving a long sentence at a nearby correctional facility. When it was time to say hello, the person in front of us turned around and immediately grasped the hand of my friend and smiled. That person happened to be a correctional officer from that same facility. They immediately recognized each other. After the service, the two of them had a long conversation. They were so happy and surprised to have found each other in church. Now, what are the chances of that? <laughs> a former prisoner and a prison guard from the same facility being in the same church at the same service in the same section on the same night. Only God could have arranged that kind of an encounter. And it was so encouraging to both of them. But now think about this. What if one of them had decided not to show up that night? What if one of them sat home and said, you know what, I don't think I really need church tonight. Or, I don't think the church needs me to be there tonight. That moment would not have happened. Now, there were hundreds of people in the room that night, and there were many others who could have greeted and shaken hands and made one or the other feel welcome, but no one else could have had the impact that these two had on each other. They each brought something unique their selves, their being transformed selves to one another's experience, and it made a huge difference in both of their lives. Now, as wonderful as that is, as remarkable as it sounds, that same thing happens every time this community gathers, in every venue, for every service, in every room, every time. God brings together people who need to be together on that particular occasion. And if someone doesn't show up, it will not be the same encounter that it might have been. We each bring our care, our service, our prayer, our contribution, ourselves to the life of this or whatever church you're a part of. And so living on mission means making your unique contribution 
to the life of a local church. Let's bow and pray. We thank you, Lord, for the church, the church that you founded as you left this world, a church that for thousands of years has been about your work in this world, done so much good in this world, your church which has helped so many of us on our journey of faith. Thank you, Lord, for this church, Grace Chapel, for these many decades of ministry, for the lives that have been touched and the good work that's been done here and around the world. Lord, we confess that like every other church, we are imperfect. We don't always get it right. We do the best we can to follow your lead and to live out the scriptures and to be your people in this world. We ask your forgiveness when we fail to get it right. We ask your courage to continue to trust you to, and to move forward. We pray for this particular moment and the decisions we're making here today. Pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might guide us. Thank you that we have freedom in Christ to vote our conscience as we understand your leading and the scriptures. We have the freedom to do that with love and respect. Thank you for the confidence that you will lead us into the future. And so we'll trust you to do that. Bless these moments now. Thank you for each person here today and what they bring to the life of this church. In Jesus' name, amen.